It's time for JT the Brick. How we doing? Baby, I'm great. JT, how are you doing? What do we want to talk about with the Raiders? So I want to see an interception. I want to see some sacks. Raiders come with four. Here comes the fifth rusher. And he's sacked! Deshaun Bauer had him around the waist. And the Raiders defense holds on fourth down. And then your boy JT got it right. JT the Brick. Always, always great to be with the Brick. I don't spend a lot of time on teams that don't make the playoffs. We talk about what matters in championships and winning here. It's Big Boy Radio. That is the best atmosphere in a preseason game that I've ever been a part of. And that's easy to say that, clearly. Get your ass out here and get ready. Here we go. And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you had a good bye week. If you were able to enjoy the bye week, we got players and coaches who listen to this show. People are back in town as the Raiders are preparing for the Houston Texans this Sunday at Allegiant Stadium. Tomorrow, along with Q Myers and Lincoln Kennedy, we'll host the Raiders Roundtable, which you can download on YouTube and watch it live, or you can watch it go back. Go to Raiders.com. It's Raiders Roundtable the newest podcast, and it's off to a really good start. So we appreciate everybody who has subscribed. If you haven't, just go to the Raiders YouTube page and hit on subscribe and like, and you'll get that, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. It's been a tough start to a 1-4 and season, but we're optimistic the Raiders can get this going. Coming up against the Houston Texans, and we'll, we'll dive into Houston all week. I've already booked a couple of guests from down in Houston, some insiders who are going to come on with us, and we're going to try to educate ourselves on this team and what they're going to need to do to get going because I think Houston is playing at a point where they're giving up less than 20 points a game so they have a bend not break they have a bend not break philosophy with the Texans and they're keeping people out of the end zone and the Raiders have struggled and they just got rid of their executive vice president of football operations today there's a lot happening in that organization a lot going on with them but they're a team that could be a little bit sneaky here uh, they tied the Colts 20-20 to the first game of the year. Then they lost at the Broncos 16-9. to And that game is when Bronco fans started freaking out because they couldn't believe it. They lost to the Bears 23-20. to And they played the Chargers tough. The Chargers beat them 34-24 to in that game. And you know, I look at teams here and what they're able to do. The Houston Texans beat the Jaguars at Jacksonville where the Raiders are going here in a couple of weeks. 13-6. to They held a really good young quarterback, to six points. They didn't score. We're talking about this team, the Jaguars, got some explosive players. They spent more money than any team in free agency, and the Houston Texans beat them 13-6. to So they got a win and a tie. The Raiders just have one win, and they have three losses. The Raiders have four losses. So that game's coming up on Sunday. And anything you'd like to add about the Raiders' identity seems to be one of those big topics. What's the Raiders' identity and I think that's going to be interesting to see as we move forward. If it's going to be a running identity, then that'll be fun because Josh Jacobs playing well. But don't expect blowouts when you're running the football. And can this team get going? The Panthers traded Robbie Anderson to the Cardinals. It's a pleasure to welcome in Miles Simmons, frequent contributor from Pro Football Talk and everything he does with his podcast and all his work around the league. Miles, take me through Robbie Anderson because what concerns me here, it's, it's more bad behavior with a player getting rewarded out of a bad situation and on paper going to a better team, even though Arizona's struggling. How do you see this? Uh, kind of the way you do. It's interesting because that was a strange deal that was going on in Los Angeles on Sunday where interim coach Steve Wilkes sent uh, Robbie Anderson off the field and back into the locker room. I mean, he basically Antonio Browned him, except then Robbie Anderson did not 
do the whole I'm taking off my jersey and throwing my jersey and gloves into the crowd thing, right? And then the Panthers actually made him available at the podium after the game, which I found kind of surprising. But I guess in some ways it was a desirable thing for all parties because it got Robbie Anderson a chance to say, oh, I didn't really understand why he was sending me off the field, even though, of course you do. You're getting into it with an assistant coach on the sideline. Of course you understand why you got sent off. And then from the Panthers' perspective, it's like, yeah, we just want this guy out of here. I mean, Robbie Anderson was a Matt Rule guy. Matt Rule got fired last week. Mm -hmm. The writing was on the wall. And now that the Cardinals have a significant injury with Marquise Brown, looks like he's going to be out for the year with the foot, they need somebody else that can be in that wide receiver room and play alongside DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green. And so we'll, we'll see how it works out. Well, DeAndre Hopkins is coming back, and is this a last-ditch effort, you think, for Arizona? Arizona had a miracle win that I saw in Vegas, or they'd be 1-5. Uh, they're 2-4 and four here. I think the coach is on the hot seat. Arizona's 0-3 at home. They can't buy a win at home. So to me, it looks like a desperate move as the media, the Wolves are at the door there with Cliff Kingsbury. Kyler Murray's going nowhere with that contract extension and what he has. It feels like it's desperate times for that franchise. But it ought to be desperate times. I mean, they were a team that started 10-2 last year. They were thought of as one of the best teams, if not the best team in football. They were the last undefeated team. And then they had a total collapse in the regular season, played a completely uncompetitive playoff game against the Los Angeles Rams. And now they got they, – what's funny, you know, you say it's a hot seat. Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kahn got extended – in the offseason through 2027. Now, we don't know what the guarantees are with that contract, what it happens to be, but at, when you look at now what they are and what they've done, going back to the back half of last season, it's completely unimpressive. And that division is winnable, but the Cardinals have not shown any ability to move the ball. I mean, you reward Kyler Murray, and he's looked extremely mediocre through the first uh, six games of the season. So I agree with you, JT. I mean, they could easily be one and five. They really have not played many competitive games this year. They can't score early. They haven't really scored anything, uh, any touchdowns against their divisional opponents. I'm not sure where Arizona's going. I don't see Robbie Anderson being that much of a difference maker, or DeAndre Hopkins for that matter. But, I mean, it, it, it's certainly not going well there. All right, let's move on to the Bills and what you saw with the Chiefs yesterday. and Just the defensive players on that team, especially Buffalo, that seems to be the difference. Those teams are identical. Whoever has the ball last probably is going to win unless a defender makes a play. And Buffalo was able to do that. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are both super elite. I just think Buffalo's defense is a little bit better. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I do. And, and, you know, Kansas City was playing without a bunch of defensive contributors. So if they play again, which I think we all kind of expect that they will, you know, the Chiefs may be a little bit healthier and they have guys coming off of suspension and things like that. So the defenses may be a little bit more equal. But the Chiefs don't have Von Miller, right? Von Miller was supposed to be the difference maker, and he really was that in that game. And you could see and feel his presence on pretty much every play, especially late in that game where he really pressured Patrick Mahomes into throwing that late interception. So, I mean, he finishes with four tackles, two tackles for loss, and two sacks, but it seemed like his impact was bigger than what the stat sheet may present. All right, so when this goes forward here now, considering all the chaos or parity 
in the NFL with Kansas City could have lost multiple games, but they beat Brady. They beat their rival, the Raiders, by one, an amazing comeback. They lose to the Bills in a game they could have won unless the Bills made a great play. Handicap the AFC going forward here because the Jets are playing well, which I can't believe. Cincinnati is back to 500 again. And if I look around the league here wondering, and the Chargers haven't got going yet, and everybody expected the Chargers to be a playoff team. Yeah, it's funny. And, you know, you get that game tonight with the Chargers and the Broncos. The Broncos are another team that everybody expected kind of to be good. I didn't really. But the Broncos seem to be a disappointment to a lot of people around the league. And, you know, they still have Russell Wilson, but it's just one of those things where he does not seem to be playing well with Nathaniel Hackett. They haven't found it, whatever it is. It's just not there yet. So it's interesting because I, I would think that Baltimore should be the third best team in the AFC, but they keep giving up double-digit leads. Like they did it with Miami. They had a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter. They did it on Monday, or excuse me, on Sunday with the Giants. They had a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter. They were up 20-3 to three over the Bills and ended up losing that game in regulation. I, it's, it's this weird thing where, for whatever reason, the Ravens can't close things out, and I don't expect to see that with the John Harbaugh coach team. I just don't. So I don't know if when Tua comes back that Miami is really that threat. That's the third best team in the AFC. I don't know that it's Cincinnati based on what I've seen from them so far. They're just too inconsistent. And I think the Saints really had an opportunity to win that game. They didn't run Taysom Hill late in the fourth quarter, and they maybe regret that today. Um, but, yeah, it, it's tough to say because you're right. There, there are those two top-tier teams, and it's kind of like everybody else. And somebody's going to have to emerge because we got seven teams that make it to the playoffs in, in each conference. All right, let's uh, let's continue. Miles Simmons kind enough to join us from Pro Football Talk. Let's jump into what we're seeing with the NFC side of the football. You mentioned the Rams. How weird that game was. This Rams offensive line is a mess. Is that going to hinder them? Because the Forty ers lost to the Falcons. I thought I saw that one coming. I had that one right. And all of a sudden, the Rams are back in it, and the Niners lost an opportunity to separate themselves more from the Rams in the division. Yeah, they really did. And kudos to you for getting that one right, because I got it wrong. I guess I've been underestimating the Falcons, man, because they just keep winning, and they're not winning in traditional ways that you would think of in the 2022 NFL, right? I mean, Marcus Mariota threw 14 passes, had 13 completions, and the one pass that was incomplete was his last throw of the day of the fourth quarter. So but to really get to your question, I mean, the Rams' offensive line is absolutely in shambles. I mean, it came out on Monday that uh, Joe Noteboom, their left tackle, is done for the season with an Achilles tear. It's what they feared after that game anyway, and just those fears were confirmed. So they've only got one guy right now going into their bye week that is their opening day offensive lineman in the same spot, and that's Rob Havenstein, their right tackle, who's been a veteran and a stalwart for them for years and years and years. So they've got a lot to figure out over the course of their bye week. But based on how flawed every team is in the NFC West, the Rams still may end up hosting a playoff game. I don't know Mm -hmm. if they'll win that playoff game, because if they do, they might be hosting one of these NFC East teams, maybe the Minnesota Vikings, if they don't go on and win their division, maybe the Green Bay Packers, whoever it happens to be. They may not win that game, but the, the division is flawed enough that the Rams could get back in it if they you know, do what they have to do and figure some things out on that OL. Inside of a pro football talk, Miles Simmons, kind enough to join us again. I like the Vikings at 5-1. and one. I didn't think they'd be too up on the Packers. So let's handle both those teams. The Vikings, are they for real? They're 3-0 and oh at home, and they could be having home playoff games. 
And the Packers lose back-to-back to the Giants in London and the Jets, and they were dominated by the Jets. They were dominated by the Jets. The Jets almost had 180 rushing yards, and that's not something that I expect to see when you're talking about a team going in and playing in Lambeau Field. I don't know. I mean, hey, Robert Tall was talking about keeping receipts, and, you know, he was going to shove our faces in it at the end, and he looks like he might be right. I think we have to take the Jets kind of seriously. But the Packers, they're reeling a little bit, and we all knew that they were going to miss Devontae Adams. That offense was predicated on Devontae Adams, right? Aaron Rodgers is there, yes, but so many of the targets went to Devontae Adams. Every defense had to key in on Devontae Adams to stop him. And so when he's not there and you don't have that continuity, you don't have that partnership already established between Aaron Rodgers and his receivers, now we're seeing the results of it. Everybody looks uncomfortable. Matt LaFleur doesn't look comfortable calling the plays. Aaron Rodgers doesn't look comfortable trying to go to some of these guys. It's a weird situation. And so, yeah, the Vikings right now, they're taking advantage of it. They're building that lead in the NFC North. And unless the Packers get themselves going, which as long as they've got Aaron Rodgers, they certainly have a chance to do, then the Vikings are going to be hosting the playoff game as the winner of the NFC North. They're, They're doing a good job in taking advantage of every opportunity that they've had so far. Miles Simmons, as we wrap it up. So I am fascinated on the Robert Kraft wedding. He's 80 years old. He, he, mar- he married a 47-year-old doctor, businesswoman. Great. I, I, I remember him back in the day when the, no one knew who he was, and he was married to Myra Kraft, his original wife, and they did so much great work in New England. The amount of money they raised for the Jimmy Fund and everything, fantastic. But then... Over the last couple of years, Robert Kraft and what happened in Jupiter, Florida, and the issues with him, and he should be in the Hall of Fame already. He should have had a gold jacket years ago, but that transgression that happened that went to court and then didn't go and all that, that's one thing. But Brady went to his wedding, and everybody's fascinating. Once TMZ starts talking about it, I do. That's usually my rule. If TMZ has it, and they got photographers taking pictures of him coming off the private jet, so he didn't go with Giselle because they have marital issues, which is obvious to everyone. Also, Brady missed a walkthrough, and he missed a meeting, which is very rare. But, Miles, I say this. When you won seven Super Bowls, and you're maybe the hardest worker in NFL history with your diet, your conditioning, your meetings, everything he's done, I got to give him a pass if he doesn't practice on a Wednesday or he goes and sees one of his mentors get married. How is everybody handling this Brady story because the Bucks aren't right? Well, it's interesting because Brady, what we know about Brady is Brady's always all in, right? And my feeling is, my sense is that how can you be all in if you're not always there? Brady's always been there. And even if he's not practicing Wednesday, the, the whole Brady's not practicing Wednesday, that's, 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 not, that's a nothing burger to me because mm-hmm. he's still in the building. And there are so many veterans and veteran quarterbacks. I think Ben Roethlisberger was like this. He rarely practiced on Wednesday. If you're in the building, you're attending meetings, you're with the guys, you're understanding, you're, they, they get that, right? But when you go away for 10, 11 days during training camp, when you skip meetings and walkthroughs on Saturday, no matter how much the head coach says, uh, he didn't miss anything. I mean, yes, he did. He missed meeting and he missed the walkthrough. And if it doesn't matter if he misses that, then why do you have them in the first place? So it's, it's one of those deals where it, it just brings me back to when he made that retirement announcement and then he obviously went back on it. But mm-hmm. he said, I, you know, football requires such a big commitment and I can't make that commitment anymore. Well, he hasn't made the same commitment 
that he has over the last 20 plus years of his career. And so when you go to a wedding and you don't come back and you miss the walkthrough, you miss the meetings, it, it just presents a different thing. And, you know, it's, it's hard to be like, man, come on, Tom Brady, what are you doing? But at the same time, 10 years ago, Tom Brady at 35, would he have missed a meeting or walkthrough? And how would he have felt about a teammate that would have done something like that? I don't know. So it, it, it's interesting. And when you lose to the Steelers in the way that they lo- lost to the Steelers, then it has to be brought up because how does it not affect the way that things are perceived? If you're not there and you miss some preparation, and no matter how big or small the preparation is, and then you lose in that way, mm-hmm. the questions are going to be asked. And, yeah, I, and think I think the it, questions it, are fair. Yeah, and I think it's important because the, the loudest quarterback conversations – you know, Josh Allen and Mahomes are great. Lamar Jackson did, doesn't have a contract yet. But Brady retiring, then unretiring. Aaron Rodgers threatening last year to, un, to retire, and he didn't. He wins the MVP. And now Aaron Rodgers lightly, very small, but lightly throwing his offense under the bus. He doesn't have Devontae mm-hmm. Adams. It's a mess. Now you get two guys that everybody in, in the world of the NFL content. We want more content on what's going on with Brady, his marriage, why he's not there. At times, and is Aaron Rodgers going to implode going on a podcast here, going on a radio show and do something in the next couple of weeks if they don't turn this around? I know. It's funny because, you know, it's it's hard for me to be like, Brady, how, how dare you miss a wedding for somebody who means so much mm. to you? Because I wouldn't want, I, as a person, just as a human being, I don't want people to miss things that are that important in life. But it's that part of it versus the commitment that you make as, as a football player and as somebody who's a part of the team. And Bill Belichick didn't go to that wedding because Bill Belichick had a game to win in Cleveland. So, I mean, it's just the, it's the contrast, and it's sort of the unfortunate part of football that I guess we, you know, is fodder for us, as you said, JT, in the, in the content-producing business. Thank you, Miles. Always good talking in a few weeks. Appreciate you. Absolutely, JT. Take care. Miles Simmons joining us from Pro Football Talk. And again, I, I throw out the disclaimer so people don't take it out of context. Not that everybody's sitting on every word that I have to say about Tom Brady. I put up a post on Brady and people are trolling and going crazy about it. Brady motivated his team on the sideline. I wasn't talking about anybody else other than Brady. Brady breaks a tablet. Brady in a game like this stood up, yelled at his offensive line. I like that. It's not about another quarterback not doing it, this or that. It's about everybody. I like when Brady shows emotion. And from time to time, you see it. He runs out and he goes, let's go. And that's the name of his podcast with Jim Gray and Larry Fitzgerald. It's called Let's Go because that's his moniker when he screams to get fired up. When he breaks the tablet, it's because he's pissed. It's not going right. He wants to send a message to his team. And I think that more quarterbacks should do that. In the NFC, the AFC, college, if you're showing emotion during the game, it might motivate someone next to you. It might not. Paul O'Neill had his number retired by the Yankees. Pretty big honor. He broke a water cooler. He got motivated. He was pissed off. Derek Jeter never, ever, ever, ever showed any negative emotion, ever. And you know, you have different guys. So I like when we see the emotion from Brady. But Brady going to that wedding for Robert Kraft is a big story in Tampa and New England, and nationally, because normally winning is everything. The game is more important. But Robert Kraft, I'd go to Robert Kraft's wedding if I was 45 and I had seven Super Bowls. I'd look at Todd Bowles and go, yeah, 
Uh, excuse me, I'll be back in the morning on my own private jet. You don't have to supply it. I'm going up to the wedding. Elton John's performing. I'm sitting with John Bon Jovi. I'm going to hang out with my mentor, Robert Kraft, and I'll be back tomorrow. Nothing wrong with that. But it's a big topic that you need to hear about. 702-365-9200. Thanks to Miles for joining us. Coming up next, Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of the silver and black. Harry's doing great things as a play-by-play voice, a content provider. You hear him in this time slot from time to time. We're brought to you by Woodson Bourbon Whiskey. Charles is in town for his golf tournament. When Charles Woodson comes to town, I talk about him. When he's not in town, I talk about him because he's a proud partner. Woodson Bourbon Whiskey. Charles Woodson, everybody. The left-hand hitting, Andres Jimenez with a count of one and two. Pitch. Struck him out swinging. Ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. Their biggest win of the year by far. Well, nothing gives me more angst than a Yankee game. That's for sure. And they play tonight. We'll get back to that coming up here a little bit. Also, possibly look at college football. Harry Ruiz joins me. Uh, the play-by-play voice of the Silver and Black on the Latino side. And, Harry, I hope you enjoyed the bye week. I know you're grinding. Did you get a chance to take a step back from Raider Nation and all the chaos as of late? Fortunately, I was able to do so. But, unfortunately, I still had to watch some playoff baseball. And I say unfortunately because my Dodgers ended up crapping the bed again. And they're out. 111 win season thrown down the drain. And uh, now it's to start planning for 2023. But I always say baseball, it's my bridge to not feel that absence that football gives me from January, February, all the way through August. So now that's over. Now we're 100% focused on football. Yeah, I look at the Dodgers again, and it's disappointing because I was looking forward to the Dodgers-Yankees, and a lot of other people were, not just Dodger-Yankee fans compared to some of the other teams that are coming here. But I'm happy for, you know, Padre fans have been waiting a lot longer than the Dodgers. Without Trevor Bauer, hanging on to Clayton Kershaw, in my opinion, a year or two too late, even though he got a ring. And then to see what happened that when Walker Bueller went out and got injured and Kimbrell wasn't the answer as closer, they were built to lose in the postseason unless that lineup bailed them out. Is that how you see it? No. Actually, JT, if you look at the pitching, the pitching kept the Dodgers in the games, and they were close games for all of every single game that they played out of those four in the series. The batting, they were awful with running, runners in scoring position. Mookie Betts didn't produce. Trey Turner produced the first two games. Then he shut down. Freddie Freeman was quiet most of the series. And then Will Smith... He had a bases loaded, no outs in game four against San Diego, and the best he could do was a fly out to left field instead of getting a single that would get a couple of runs. The batting failed the Dodgers. The pitching, their bullpen, yes, they didn't have a closer, but they were great throughout the series. The managing situation, I mean, I would have done things a little bit differently. I would have gone with Gonsolin as an opener in game four instead of having Anderson as a starter in game four and then going with the tired bullpen after game three. But it was, it was just, uh, it was just off one. I'm trying to keep a PG because I'm so frustrated right now, JT, with the Dodgers because this was the year where they should have 
proven everybody wrong, and now there's a lot of questions going into 2023. Are they going to re-sign Trey Turner? Are they going to bring in another big-name free agent? I think they shouldn't be – I don't think they would spend as much money as they did the last two off-seasons, but after this defeat, I wouldn't be shocked if they let Bellinger walk, but then they go and sign Aaron Judge, and then they keep Trey Turner and spend the most money in baseball history. Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of the Raiders, on top of a whole bunch of other big jobs that he has. All right, quickly, let's get to the Raiders here. What concerns me is Houston's defense. Houston's defense giving up less than 20 points a game. It's bend, don't break. They're not very good, but they keep teams out of the red zone and out of the end zone, and that's kind of been an issue for the Raiders. Yeah, absolutely. The Your 20 and their 20s, that's where you got to be the most effective, and that's where the Raiders have struggled the most. We spoke about Travis Kelsey. He got 10 yards from the Kansas City one-yard line all the way to the Raiders' 10-yard line. But then inside the 10, he cooked the Raiders' 4-4 touchdowns, and the Raiders have to emphasize into doing a better job inside your 20s. And now looking over to the offense, uh, it seems like well, we'll, we'll figure out Wednesday once practice rolls around to see who's available and who's not. We're going to keep an eye on that Darren Waller situation. We're going to keep an eye on uh, the Devontae Adams situation, with fortunate, which fortunately we haven't heard a lot of noise around it. If something had happened already, it would have happened. And fortunately it hasn't with that shove situation. So the weapons should be there. And I'm a little bit more calm seeing that the team has been evolving and they've been getting better week by week, but they just need to figure out ways to shut the door down and be like, all right, this game is on our side and we got to make sure we got a big advantage that nobody can catch up to us. Well, Harry, I think the defense had to improve during the bye week. I hope Patrick Graham has a different scheme or something he's going to do, maybe getting players back healthy, a rotation. Max has played a lot of plays, and Max is unbelievable, having a great season, not much out of Chandler Jones. What do you think needs to be cleaned up is the term during the bye week, which ended for the Raiders on D? Yeah, the coverage situation. It'll be interesting to see if Anthony Averett is available now that he can come off of the IR list and see how much help that secondary can get that has been torched uh, by Patrick Mahomes. They've been torched by uh, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert. And if you're taking 24 points a game by your opponents, that that puts a lot of pressure on the offense, which should deliver, but that's not going to be the case. You go back to last year and what, why was the re what was the reason that the Raiders were able to make it into the playoffs? You look at those final six games and the defense stepped up big time and they were able to get to the quarterback. They were able to avoid the big yard plays, which are, is a big Achilles heel for the Raiders, uh, not only this season, but previous seasons as well, the 20-plus yard plays. They let a lot of those happen and they put their opponents in good positions. So Patrick Graham and his staff, yes, it was a bye week and the players were able to relax. The coaching staff, they I got a feeling they're looking into making better things because – what they did in the first five games, it's not going to cut it for the rest of the year. Uh, last one, Harry. The Devontae story, he showed up at the South Point 400, which is great. And you know, he got his number retired, his jersey retired in Fresno State. I thought he's handled this incident well and what's happening. He apologized afterwards. I thought it was a mistake, and he's going to have to pay for it financially. I hope there's not a suspension. I don't think there'll be one. Let's just concentrate this last question on him as a football player. Productive with limited targets. Do you expect the targets to go up significantly against Houston? I mean, we saw it against Kansas City. When they targeted him, when they looked for him, he was either getting 50-plus yard catches or touchdown catches, and he was 
also getting defensive pass interference is called in plays where the ball was thrown his way. And all three times, they were the three Raiders touchdowns. So when you throw the ball towards Devontae Adams, good things happen. And now we just got to figure out ways to be able to go at him, but not obviously 20, 30 times. You can't do that per game. But you look, you go towards what you did against the San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers. You did against the Kansas City Chiefs. You did against the Broncos, where you looked for him multiple times, and he was able to be productive. And the Raiders, Derek Carr, he has a great connection with them. And there's going to have to be a day where it's like, hey, you know what? I'm sorry, Hunter Renfro. I'm sorry, Devontae Adams. I'm sorry, Matt Collins. Tay is there, and when I throw it at Tay, good things happen, and I got to go more towards him, and he, the, they got to shut down the noise and be like, it doesn't matter who gets the stats as long as the team gets the win, and that's something that the Raiders have to focus, and if that means throwing the ball to Tay 15 times, then that means you throw the ball to Tay 15 times as long as you get the win. I got it. I agree with you 100%. Take care, Harry. I'll talk to you and see you later in the week. Thank you. Take care, JT. All right, October, National Pizza Month. What better way to celebrate than with a famous New York-style coal-fired brick oven pizza from Grimaldi's? We had Grimaldi's when we got back yesterday. Why? Because I can go pick it up at Boca. Grimaldi's is hands down my favorite pizza in Vegas. I try to refer everyone there. And we got $50 Grimaldi gift cards for our locals here in town from Vegas. I want to thank Grimaldi's for being a tremendous partner and generously providing those $50 gift cards to give away to our loyal fans. The kick on the way, and that kick is knuckling toward the upright, and it's good! Just gets over the upright! Chase McGrath wins the game for Tennessee. And here they come. Everybody cheering in the celebration. The student section mobbing the field. They're mobbing Chase McGrath. Joy and jubilation as the Tennessee Volunteers have beaten the Alabama Crimson Tide. The final score from Neyland Stadium on a joyous night in Big Orange Country. Tennessee 52, Alabama 49. Vols Radio as the Volunteers come through with an epic win over Alabama. Unbelievable. JT, back with you. You know, college football recaps are important to me. I just got back from my trip from Oklahoma to visit my son. Oklahoma remains undefeated when I'm there at the Palace. Had a great time. Great time with my son. Uh, My best friend, who is my son's uncle, kind of in spirit, was there. And then my son's real uncle was there, his godfather, as we had a little reunion, family reunion in Oklahoma. And I was excited for the Sooners to win, but I wanted to hit on the Vols there and the Vols win over Alabama. So that was an unbelievable celebration. I was there for, I think it was four years ago, Peyton Manning or five got his number retired and they got shut out by Georgia. And I was tailgating and I saw the tailgate and I walked around Neyland Stadium and I saw what that experience was like, but I didn't see any post game because the volunteers got smashed by Georgia when I was there for my only time. This looked gorgeous on television. The fireworks show afterwards. One of the biggest games in the history of that building because whenever you beat Nick Saban and Nick Saban has the team that he has, that's epic. So the Tennessee fans deserve all the credit in the world. 100 plus thousand fans there. Think of that. How about that? The size of that fan base as they show up. Rocky Top and they end up winning there. And 15 years of being a rival to Alabama in name only. 
Finally, they win the game again. The Chase McGrath 40-yard field goal as time expired the best way. I heard they took the goalpost and they threw it in the river. <laughs> I've been on boats outside there. Uh, that's pretty amazing. And just to see the celebration, you know, the Padre celebration is one thing. You saw great celebrations in sports. I mean, unbelievable celebrations, but that was the biggest one. And now the volunteers, I really believe, control their destiny because whenever you can beat Alabama here, you got a shot for greatness here. Volunteers, 6-0, and 3-0 and in the Southeast Conference. And again, they end that 15-game drought to the Crimson Tide, and Alabama has a loss. Let's stop and remind everybody, this whole system in college football is built for the SEC. It is. The SEC is the best conference. For now, there's only four teams that can go into the playoffs, and the system, as I've been telling you for years, is built to get as many SEC teams in possible as possible in there, which should really only be two, right? You'd have either an undefeated team or an undefeated team that loses in the championship game. That's it. But this year, it's very interesting, and we'll look at the rankings. But what's fascinating about that? With Ole Miss, you know Alabama's not dead yet. Georgia and what we just saw with Tennessee, I was listening to a sports talk show that said, wouldn't it be great to have a Final Four with just SEC teams? Of course not. But for those fans in the South, they believe that. The fans in the South believe that they deserve four teams to get in in the SEC. And maybe this year, they're making a case for it. So an incredible, unbelievable win for the Volunteers. And I'm pretty impressed. When you can win a game like that. Remember, this was supposed to be Jimbo Fisher's year and Texas A&M to do that to Alabama, and they're dead on arrival. To see this team pull it off is pretty impressive. So great win, great celebration, and to see that many fans rush the field and have a party and have a great time like that, they deserve that as we take a look again at college football, and that was really impressive to see. Michigan got past Penn State, and now Michigan under Harbaugh is for real, and they're going to be for real for quite some time. Tennessee beat Alabama 52-49, to but the marquee game in the Big Ten was Michigan 41-17 to over Penn State. They were fantastic in that game. They really did a nice job, and you know, I was looking for more from Penn State. This was Penn State's real shot to make it to the national championship game, the college football playoffs, and they lose that opportunity. Michigan ran the ball for 418 yards. Uh, Donovan Edwards, 16 carries for 173. That's 10.8 per carry. And then Blake Corum, 28 carries for 166. That's 5.9. And they combined for four touchdowns, two touchdowns each. And Penn State couldn't stop the running game. They stopped the passing game, but they couldn't stop the running game. And this is what's great about Jim Harbaugh now. He's got a quarterback in McCarthy who can make plays. He didn't have a great game. He only threw for 145 yards, no touchdowns and interception. But they knew what their strength was in this game. It was to run the football, and they were able to do that. Wolverines are now 7-0, and 4-0 in the Big Ten. And with all those rushing yards, 7.6 yards per carry against a team that was giving up fewer than 80 yards a game, that's incredible here. And the Nittany Lions now are going to need some help along the way. Uh, they went ahead after the opening drive of the third quarter, but Michigan just shut them down. I mean, Penn State really had a chance, and they were held to three points in the entire second half in that game. So incredible win for Michigan, incredible win for Tennessee, and those are two of the top teams in the country here as they stepped up in marquee games. You step up in marquee games because a lot of these teams, they don't play great teams. 
They don't play great teams all year round. When you get those great games and those games that are in conference that you have to win, you take care of business. Uh, Georgia had a, pu- a powder puff game. Uh, you know, you get to play Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's going to stay in the SEC. I always said you want a team like Oklahoma and Texas is going to the SEC. What's going to happen to Vanderbilt then? Vanderbilt doesn't have a chance 0-3 in the SEC now, and they just laid down to Georgia 55 to nothing. Let's take a look at some of these other big games that mattered. Clemson beat Florida State, and Florida State in that game made it interesting. 14 points in the fourth quarter as Clemson wins that game, but they didn't win that game going away. And DJ, the quarterback, 203 yards, three touchdowns, and they scored on six straight drives, and that's their seventh straight win over the Seminoles. TCU beat Oklahoma State in double overtime. That was probably the best game out there, 43-40. to 40. Man, that, that overtime was incredible, 13-10. TCU beats them there, and that game is, is a, a big deal. Oklahoma State knocked, and they had an opportunity to really stay in the driver's seat there, and now TCU 6-0, and 3-0 and in the Big 12. They control their destiny going forward. Lane, Kiffin, and Ole Miss. Man, what a balanced attack, 48-34 to over Auburn. I really like the way they played that game and the way Auburn ran the ball. Bigsby, 20 carries for 179 yards and two touchdowns in this game. And Ashford, the quarterback for Auburn, had two interceptions. And Kiffin's in a great spot here. We'll look at the schedule going forward here in the SEC. Lane Kiffin is ready to go back to the NFL. Let's just get that out of the way. Not as an offensive coordinator, as a head coach. If you're saying there's going to be six to seven head coach firings every year, Lane Kiffin has proved enough now at Alabama as a coordinator. Old Miss is the head coach to get another opportunity again. I'd never thought that Lane Kiffin would stick around and coach Old Miss more than a couple of years. He'd go to the next big move along the way. Who will that be? Look at Auburn at three and four. Auburn's a bigger job than Ole Miss. Ole Miss beat Auburn. They're still in the same conference. But you know what I'm saying here. How long does Lane Kiffin stay here as they're seven and oh? Three and oh there in the SCC. The Cuse. Syracuse. 24-9 over 15th ranked NC State. Syracuse doing everything great this year. Tucker on the ground. 14 carries, 98 yards, and they're not making mistakes. Syracuse, the dome foam, the way they're playing, they are fun to watch. Syracuse is a real deal here. Syracuse getting it done. In Syracuse in the dome, uh, Garrett Schrader hit wide receiver. Arunde Gatson the second for two touchdown passes for the Orange. So a lot of Orange fans on you know around the country. A lot of people in media go to Syracuse, and they remind you they go to Syracuse every bleeping day. Well, now be proud that you went to Syracuse with this football team. Kentucky over Mississippi State, 27-17. Again, I was at the Oklahoma-Kansas game, and Oklahoma was really good. They put up 35 at the half. Oklahoma's defense is still struggling, but they beat Kansas by 10. So Kansas has now blown their opportunity. They had a perfect opportunity coming into the midway point of the season to beat TCU at home where college game day was. They weren't able to do that, and then they lose at Oklahoma. And, man, Oklahoma can score when they're in that hurry-up offense. Gabriel, the quarterback there, 29-42 for 403 yards, two touchdowns. Quick pause for a second at this game. So I got five tickets on the 50, thanks to OU. Bought them, no freebies, went right through, got them literally on the 50, right above the lower bowl. Great seats. Everybody leaves at halftime. All the college kids. My son's going, hey, Dad, 
we're going to go to Logie's, the bar there at Campus Corner. I'm like, well, shouldn't we stay for the kickoff? Third quarter? Eh, we'll stay for that, get a couple of beverages. Oklahoma comes out and scores, and all the students just hit to the bars, and the bars are great, and the bars were fun. So, yeah, a bunch of guys in their mid-50s hanging out with my wife, so she's there, my son, and a bunch of undergrads having a great time in Norman, Oklahoma. Oh, I love that atmosphere. I, I grew up with the NFL. College isn't my DNA, but to be on campus, I'm 4-0 with Oklahoma wins over four years, even though they're not ranked. So I had a great time there. Easy travel in, easy travel out to Oklahoma City. Ubers all around town, and just great to be there. Had a blast at Oklahoma too bad their season's over, but they put up a big fight in that game. Texas beat Iowa State 24-21, to low-scoring game there. Uh, that was an important game. Three touchdowns for you as a quarterback for Texas. They had to win that. And happy wife, happy life, fighting Illini out of Illinois, 26-14 over Minnesota. Illinois, 6-1. and I remember their opening game. They lost to Indiana. They had them beat. They would have been 7-0 and and probably inside the top 20 as we look at all these games here. So college football, completely amazing, unbelievable. And I'm just thrilled that I was a part of it in a small way over the weekend and I experienced that. And the powers are still the powers, as we know. If you look at the powers here, how is this going to play out? Again, for those who are new to this format and what's happening with college football, I'll say it again. If you're a power school in the power five, you can only lose one game. You could lose your championship game if you're undefeated and still go to the Final Four. Or if you lose like Alabama did, you have to find a way in through the back door. You have to win them all in your conference championship game. So with the rankings here in the top 10, Oregon has climbed back into the top 10. UCLA at 9, up two spots. TCU, number 8, 6-0. Oh. They moved up 5 in the polls. And we're talking about the AP, top 25 uh, Alabama, excuse me, Ole Miss is number seven, seven and zero. Oh, Alabama with the loss is six and one. So Ole Miss fans, you should freak out over that. I guess Alabama had a good loss, and they did. They played Tennessee on the road, right down to the wire. The committee's in love with Alabama, and if Alabama loses close games, Alabama gets rewarded more than any team in the sport for close losses. Not even close. Top five include Clemson at seven and zero. Oh. As they drop down one in the polls, Michigan moves up into the four. They're at number four. They move up at 7-0. and Tennessee at number three at 6-0. and They go from six to three. Number two, the Ohio State. And number one, Georgia. And the breakdown of those first place votes, Georgia 31, Ohio State 17, and Tennessee got 15 first place votes. That's a big deal. In the coaches' poll, it's Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Tennessee. That's a powerful lineup there for the four. But I just mentioned two teams. And as I look at Georgia's schedule going forward, because uh, Georgia's coming up that cupcake win, they play Florida at home, then Tennessee at home. That's probably the biggest game of the year. One versus three. That's on November 5th. And check this out for Georgia. Then they play Mississippi State, Kentucky, both on the road, and they're ranked. So they got a little bit of work to get done here, the remainder of the schedule, no doubt about that. And for you know Tennessee, coming off that win against Alabama, uh, looking at their schedule the rest of the way, Tennessee is in the driver's seat. Everybody in that state believes they can get it done. The Volunteers coming off that big win against Alabama, they play UT Martin 
Who? UT Martin next. Then they get Kentucky at home. Then they're at Georgia here on the 5th, November 5th. That's the game, as we mentioned. And then if they win that game, they're in. Because after that, they play Missouri at South Carolina at Vanderbilt down the stretch. So they are locked in. And uh, one more time for Alabama. As we look at Alabama's schedule the rest of the way, let me bring it up here quickly for the Crimson Tide that now have a loss on their schedule. They have to be perfect, and I want to hear anybody else's crap about that. Alabama has to win, win out, and they have to win the conference championship game to have any chance to get in. After the loss at Tennessee, Alabama has Mississippi State at LSU at Ole Miss on November 12th at Ole Miss. That'll be a big one, especially for Ole Miss, if they can stay in the, in the driver's seat. Austin P. and Auburn to wrap up the end. And let's, let's look at Lane Kiffin uh, before we wrap this up. Let me look at Lane Kiffin to see what Ole Miss has here the rest of the way because they are sneaky. And after that win against Auburn, they're at LSU, which they should win, but LSU's got good players at Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher was supposed to have that team in the top five. Alabama at home, at Arkansas, and Arkansas is not that good of a team. So, again, for Ole Miss, it comes down to that Alabama game the rest of the way on how that's going to play out. So that's where we stand, man. I'm excited. College football, I love doing the recap for you because it's a big deal to recap for college football as we're in the middle of October here, and we are rolling. And win or move forward, lose or go home. You can win at all the games you want down the stretch. I don't care. You have a chance to make the college football playoff. And the rule is simple. Undefeated, you go. Undefeated and lose your conference championship, you could still go. One loss, you're done if you lose two. And then a couple of these power programs, especially UCLA and what's happening with Oregon there, UCLA has got to keep their head down. They're the biggest school outside this SEC story where UCLA can run the table and get in too. They're good enough to do it. They're playing that well. They are, and UNLV, as we've talked about, what Marcus Arroyo has to do to keep this thing moving in the right direction with that schedule coming up. College football is amazing. I spent a lot of time on the show today because it was that good, and it was incredible to see what happened with Tennessee. Tennessee, Alabama was a classic, an all-time, I'm talking 100 years, all-time classic game, and it's funny to see that these Tennessee fans these Tennessee fans now have to pay for the goalposts, and they're raising the money by the thousands a minute. That's a fun story. Thanks to Bobby for putting the show together. Harry Ruiz, Miles Simmons, who joined us. Uh, we got good guests the rest of the week. I'm diving into the Houston Texans with some Texans insiders. And then tomorrow's a big day. Uh, Q Myers is coming up next along with Lincoln. We'll do the Raiders roundtable. Where the Raiders, you know, they put that up live on YouTube. We're able to go through it for about 40, 45 minutes, do a deep dive with some stats. What's going to happen there? I don't know. I think the Raiders are going to win the game, but I'm not predicting by 10 or 14. Just need a win. I got to be sitting in the Modelo Lounge after that game, which is in the Modelo Club section, the cantina, talking about a victory. I cannot be sitting there talking one and five. We got to be talking two and four and then peaking to go on this long road trip for the Raiders as they'll travel to New Orleans and then go to Florida and wait for the Jacksonville game. So the Raider organization will go on a big road trip and they got to get hot. And the only way that they're going to get hot is by staying healthy, being ready to go, being efficient and building on some momentum. They haven't had any momentum this year to get going. Kansas City would have given the Raiders huge momentum into the bye week, and a team that if they beat Houston would be 500. They lost to Kansas City after being up 17 to nothing. 
They lost by going for two, came up short. We know all that. That's in the past. The future, hopefully, is pretty bright here, and I hope it remains bright. So we'll play it out here the rest of the week here and keep it here to Raider Nation Radio from Morning Drive right through the end here for all of our insiders, all of the interviews. Bill Romanowski will join us this week, which I'm excited about, and we're going to be working on Jason Horowitz tomorrow, Paul Gutierrez, and an insider from the Houston Texans. I am turning off my life and locking into the Yankee game. I'm on Sirius XM tonight from 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Always appreciate our proud partners who join us here on the flagship of the Raiders. You keep the show moving forward, and I can't thank you enough and our great listeners. Have a great rest of the day. Q coming up. Good to go. All right. Thank you.